0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number one sixty-two. I am your host Nicholas Minix. Joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? Doing good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, it's a busy day in the world of Major League Baseball transactions, of course, uh, and actually a lot of teams waiting until after Labor Day. I think that was rather kind uh, for some of the prospects to be promoted to their uh, parent, the forty-man roster. Since rosters have expanded uh, technically on September first. Uh, <clears throat> And first one, obviously, this is one that folks have had a lot of questions about. I've received a number of questions about him in chats, uh, occasionally on articles. I'm sure Eno has done similar on Twitter as well. Philadelphia has called up Michael Franco, and this was even actually an uncertainty as of yesterday. Uh, and, and they have now since called him up, and he was in the starting lineup today. Um This is certainly encouraging. It's not certain that he's going to play every day in September, but they can certainly find a bats for him occasionally at third base, occasionally at first base, and a compliment to Ryan Howard. And first of all, how much do you think he'll play this season – I'm sorry, rest of this month, and what kind of contributions do you think fantasy owners could expect?
1: He's an interesting guy. I mean, he really – he really had a hard time. Uh, he started out really poorly this year. And, uh, but then around uh, the end of May, I think, he, he got it together and, and uh, has hit over 300 since then. Um, you know, he kind of, in some ways, profiles a little too closely to uh, Cody Ash, I think, for people uh, to get too comfortable with him. I mean, they're both, uh, both bad glove guys. And uh, both have some power, both have questionable play discipline. Um, you know, Ash was talked about um, as having a plus hit tool on the way up, um, uh, but it's Franco that had better strikeout rates. So, uh, you know, one thing that's a little bit weird about him starting today is that Mike Minor is on the hill for the Braves. Mike Minor's a lefty, uh, Franco's a righty, and Ash is a lefty. They've said that they're not moving Ash off of uh, third base. Yeah. So um, it kind of looks like a platoon, maybe a little bit more than a third of the playing time. Maybe he gets, you know, 40% of the playing time of a regular player, but that's uh, hard to use, I think, in most leagues. In terms of keeper leagues and stashing him for later, um, you know, I've got some optimism. I, like I've always talked about uh, liking guys with power and uh, decent strikeout rates. So um you know on that level I like him but um you know there's all sorts of questions about his defense his walk rate probably won't ever be good and his use right now uh looks like it won't be that good
0: Yeah the strikeout rates I think are are almost to me they're almost considering that power is supposed to be a, a pretty plus tool for him that the strikeout rates are surprising uh when you can, when you look at uh look at that like relative to his overall profile uh, and, and I mean that's it's the type of player that you want to find a place for on defensively, assuming that there, uh, he can come close to the upside that he has with a bat. And I think long term, he's a player to like. Um, to me, like I said, uh, we talked about the the uh, the Ashy rumors a, a little bit on Sunday. Were uh, well. Rumors, the Phillies saying that they were going to kind of stick to their guns. At least they weren't going to move Ashley off their base for the rest of this season. And if they were going to do something in the off season, that's something they would, or if they were going to address positions, which they would kind of alluded to doing that, I guess, in the winter. Um, and he's played only a little bit of second base. It's been a long time. He's never played in the outfield. Uh, but to me, like I, I watched a lot of Phillies games and like, to me, he passes the eye test as far as the glove. And I think, like, defensive metrics, I understand, are not kind to him. So, it's like, I think maybe there's a possibility that he kind of grows into it. There's some some uh, intricacies. Because I think he was originally a second baseman. And they moved him quickly away from it uh, because of Chase Utley.
1: I, 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 yes, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen plenty. I've talked to plenty of people that um, denigrate his defense, let me say. Okay. Um, so... Uh, Let's just say that uh, reports are split, and there was actually a report from Matt Gelb saying um that he could switch positions uh it was in July or something, yeah uh, but uh, then they said it won't happen now, yeah, okay, yeah, and he's
0: i mean he's he remains a do you think but you feel th- do you still think like long term he could be an interesting player with the, with the bat i mean. You know, right now it's kind of looking like he's a 250. He has, he has the ability to get on base. He's At least he's shown that ability to take a walk in, in kind of in contrast to, to Franco a little bit more so. Um, so, the, you know, maybe the ability to put up a 325 to uh, approaching 350 OBP. Uh, but to me, he's like a little bit of an intriguing player. But certainly if you're talking about offensive upside, you're talking about Franco. Yeah, that's true. Miami calls up, uh, recalls Andrew Heaney, and uh, he's been putting up some pretty good numbers, except for he was bombed in one of his recent starts uh, here. But he uh, he's been called up, and it wasn't didn't really look like he was going to have a rotation spot. But uh, since Henderson Alvarez has developed uh, an oblique strain, and so it sounds like Heaney as is pretty much <laughs> guaranteed to take his spot in the rotation. Uh, is this a player that you kind of suddenly look at as? I mean, obviously. First four starts in the majors, he put up an ERA uh, above six. Components didn't say that uh, his ERA should have been that bad, quite that bad. But uh, uh, he, didn't, he didn't put up the same kind of results. And certainly, I mean, we f- basically fielded questions about him all season prior to the call-up. And, and I think a lot of folks probably had higher expectations than were justified for him. Uh, very polished player. A very polished pitcher. I think the command uh, has been... And maybe the the command has been what's in question, but the control has been outstanding throughout his minor league campaigns. Is this a guy that you think you could rely on for, say, three, four, maybe a handful of starts rest of the season and be comfortable with it? I mean, certainly in an NL-only league, but you think he could he'd be a mixed, mixed league commodity again, which is where the recommendation started.
1: Yeah, I mean... He's sort of the the perils of uh, of dealing with youth and uh, and, and uncertain uh, outcomes. So, um, yeah, I, I've seen some people say that um, you know his change um, needed work, and I think that's probably uh, that's probably the truth because he's a very simple guy in terms of he's a sinker change curve guy, and a sinker and the curve um, are are very. Good pitches. I mean, he doesn't get a lot of whiffs on the sinker and, and it doesn't go very fast. Um, it's a 90 91 mile an hour pitch, which from a right hander is, is uh, below average. But, um, you know, it's it, he's got good command of it. It gets grounders. The curve is a really good pitch, actually. It's the kind of pitch that could, can, uh, you know, go up against uh, the best uh, whiff rates uh, on curveballs in the major leagues. I mean, it's a uh, 26 27%. I remember saying Pettit was number one with 28%. So he hasn't thrown a lot. So it's not like you can say he's going to keep that up once he throws more curveballs. But I'd say right now you can say he's a legit sinker curve guy and that it's the change that needs work. And if you look at it, uh, the change, I mean, it, it has like three more inches of drop than his sinker. So, um, uh, and it goes seven, eight miles an hour slower. So, you know, it, it has the sort of drop and, um, and velocity difference that you would expect, but I just, he just wasn't doing something right with it. And it's, and it's not getting the whiffs that you want, uh, eight, eight, nine percent whiffs. It's getting a lot of grounders, but right now it's, he's kind of like sinker, uh, other sinker and curve guy. So, um, (laughs) you know, as much as people wanted to throw around the label that he was polished, you know, he needed more polish.
0: (laughs) That's a, I mean, that's kind of a good point. Uh, I I mean, I have uh, to me. He's kind of he strikes me as one of those players where, yeah, and if it's largely if it's command issue, it's not it's certain not necessarily certain uh, that he can come out with this kind of outcome. But uh, he's a Heaney is a pitcher who kind of um, yeah. I mean, he he carries this polished label with a kind of an acute understanding of how to pitch and approach guys, and has always been, you know, command control, et cetera, et cetera. So. I think when he comes into the bigs, and maybe he's, and I read some quotes from him that maybe he he thought he wasn't uh, aggressive, or he he you know shook off the catcher too much, and things like that. Kind of this, you know, these these things that maybe young players do, that um, aren't necessarily you know, well. They can easily kind of help him help players to defy our expectations, but um, oftentimes I think when you when you when a guy gets sent down and he kind of gets a chance to kind of reckon with uh, what he got in terms of results versus uh what he knows how to do and he says you know what i'm just going to kind of trust my stuff next time and see what happens but if you get knocked around it may be hard to do that he he strikes me as that i mean because the stuff is a little soft i think people kind of thought because of the strikeout rates maybe he threw harder um but uh i mean he's he i think he remains dynasty league is this still like is this like a, a guy that you would still be happy to own I think I would be because long term, I like, I think the, the, the upside is being like a, in a deep, in a kind of a deep dynasty league, I think.
1: I mean, I have him in, in tout still. <laughs> mm. um, so. Oh, I didn't t- realize that you picked him up there. We're, we're still talking about Haney, right? Yes. Yeah. I've got, I've still, you know, when we, when we, t- I'm, I'm surprised. I, the reason I asked is because, um, you know, we remember we talked about Haney. Yeah, and we we talked ourselves into you know picking him up in the All Star game. I actually picked him up over the All Star break.
0: <laughs> oh, so, did you? I, well, see, here's the, I remember when, uh I thought someone originally picked him up and then they dropped him right away because he was demoted. And you, no, I, I you I, picked I, him back. Oh,
1: I kept him up through the demotion just because he was on my bench and, uh, you know, in a 15 team league that deep, the the starters are pretty bad, so. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's Uh, true. Around and uh, you know I'm waiting for like a good schedule week where he has two starts at home. I'm definitely going to throw him then. So,
0: yeah, no, that's well. Then uh, I think that's 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 a pretty nice endorsement, and uh, I think that's that's uh, a little bit promising for. I I think he's yeah. I think he's still a promising kid long term. And I and I'm kind of rooting for him actually, which kind of sounds weird. I think Um, seeing as I'm a Phillies fan, but.
1: Well, anytime we'll a guy comes up in bombs like that, you you kind of feel badly for him, especially when they were, they had some pedigree, and then you also think that there's probably some reason for that pedigree. And uh, yeah,
0: so. uh, Toronto has called up Dal- Dalton Pompey. Now it's not certain that he this this fellow is going to play uh, regularly, but Toronto is is inching closer and closer to. Uh, being out of playoff contention of course there's still about four weeks to go and so there's not certain but he's another player who i've received a lot of questions about in chats, and uh is an interesting player but i think the strikeout rates concern me uh particularly i'm going to speak uh, strictly long term because i don't see the playing time mattering up uh, but because the speed uh is basically his main tool and for those who are kind of looking to stream for stolen bases or pick up players who may help them in stolen bases, uh, even with a part-time role or something like that. I think from that aspect, he's kind of interesting, at least in, say, an AL only league. Um, the thing that concerns me is uh, t- this type of player, uh, the, the encouraging thing is that he he takes walks, <laughs> quite a bit of them, uh, with walk rates uh, rarely uh in the double digit percentage range, but the strikeout rate, I am a little concerned because the type of player that he is, that they won't translate real well to the major leagues. Um, long-term. I, I think I'll start with more of a long-term thing because I don't think there's anything, there's any way much around a playing time issue for him uh, in September, but long-term, what uh, what kind of outlook do you think Pompey has?
1: Um, I, you know, I think he's, I think he's like, I think he's ready in terms of I don't see a lot more for him um, down in the minor leagues. Um, I mean, he's he's made it all the way to Triple A. Um, you know, he has a, I guess he's only had you know about 200 plate appearances above the Double A level. So you know, maybe there's a little bit more polish. And you never know what will happen with the strikeout rate, like you're saying. You never know what will happen with that when he gets to the bigs. Will it jump up to 24, 25 percent, or will it stay around 18 to 20 percent? If it stays around 18 to 20 percent, I see patience, I see power, I see steals, I see center field defense. I see a lot fewer question marks than Anthony goes, um, who is toolsy, athletic, has uh, a lot of speed, great defense, but um, you know has always had trouble making contact. So um, I, you know, I see that he could have more seasoning, but I also see a team need on a major league level. So I think they're actually going to throw him out there a little bit this year because I think they're going to let Colby Rasmus go. Ah, okay. And and, uh, because he's a free agent at the end of the season. And, you know, their plan, I guess, in that case, would be to kind of go to Ghost, But Ghost hasn't been playing that well. So I think they might actually give Pompey some burn to see if Pompey is the solution. Um, I mean, crazier things have happened. And and he's, he's, you know, he's really turned it on uh, for the last couple of seasons. So... That is true. He,
0: he's a switch hitter. Um, the on-base stuff is really encouraging. I think that because the combination, and I was probably a little too hard on him, I think, in the chats, because I was like, you know, there's there's still some concerns I see. Certainly, uh, he's and I, I think maybe more so I'm concerned with, I guess, the kind of quick rise to the minor league system. Um, but he is 20. He's He'll be 22 in the winter. Uh, switch hitter, uh, kind of a slender fellow, uh, 6'1", 170, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that uh, he's going to be a failure or anything like that. I'm sure he's going to put on some weight. I I, I, I tend to look at the the, um, the heights and weights and things like that to see what kind of – to see, you know, sometimes power. I and mean, we talked about Dilson Herrera. First of all, the guy hits a home run <laughs> yesterday and totally blows our minds. As, well, not blows our minds. But he doesn't look like he's a, a 5'10", 150 either. I think the height is probably extremely generous, um, but – uh, still, at the same time, he's not a player who really intrigues me at least any time in the next year or so uh, because he just it doesn't
1: it, seem like a mixed leaguer with that with that size. It doesn't seem like he's going to produce the power to be a mixed leaguer, right? I
0: Whereas, think. yeah, because he's put up double digit home runs in the minor leagues, and it seems like that's that seems like a real reach uh, for him once he hits the majors. Combination of things there, but uh, as far as Pompey, um, I think there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. M- it's a lot easier to see the projectability um, and see a lot of the things translating, uh, and I think that that's the kind of thing that's encouraging. Like in an OBP league, Pompey is really intriguing long term. Like he's kind of like Mookie Betts territory in terms of OBP potential. I think um, maybe maybe that's being a little too generous because Betts Betts's uh, minor league profiles are really impressive in terms of that, but. Um, combination of the, the type of speed that Pompey offers and the on-base ability, that alone is something that you should be paying attention to. And maybe maybe I'm not giving enough credit for the rest of this season yet because uh, maybe it's somebody that the Blue Jays look to go, in, uh, go into 2015 and, and consider giving a significant role. San Diego also calling up, I think this, to me, this is kind of the last of the potentially really interesting prospects that's been called up for September 1st. Uh, Corey Spangenberg, Spangenberg. I've heard it both ways, um, kind of a reference to Psych there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> incidentally, perhaps my favorite show of all time, but, uh, and he, um, this <laughs> he's Corey Spangenberg has had an interesting season in terms of, I think he doesn't strike me as like a huge power potential type player, but uh, um, I, I think is maybe that, and maybe I'm uh, I've misread, but uh, I, I kind of always thought of him as somebody that they, they projected long-term to potentially be somebody who could contribute in the power category. Um, at least, you know, getting to double-digit home runs. It hasn't happened um, at any level or even really approached it. Um, I guess he, he put up six. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He put up eight combined. Or, no, yeah, it was six. Uh, I guess that was the AFL. He put up six combined in 2013. Uh, but he does offer some speed. Uh, is this a player that really intrigues you? Because, to me, um, I'm a little concerned the combination of the strikeout rate and uh kind of the lack of walks that the on base is going to be a little bit of a problem for him. And, um, he's, he skipped the triple A level, which is not necessarily a bad thing considering that it would have been a jump to the triple, triple, triple A El Paso and the Pacific coast league.
1: Yeah. He would have, he would have enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, you're right. Uh, the, the, stri- the walk rates, uh, are all hovering around five, six percent, uh, while the strikeout rates keep nudging, uh, over twenty percent, so those are those that puts him in the bad bins for uh, for bust rate in terms of walks and strikeouts, and then he's not in a good bin for uh, isolated power either. So um, he's kind of in the tough spot. Uh, and then to throw on top of it, he doesn't really have pedigree. He's not a top one hundred prospect. Um, so there's a lot of uh, question marks around him. Probably not a high, uh, not probably not a you know uh, a low bust rate guy. But the, the one nice thing is that there's not a ton of uh, of, of options for the Padres at third base. I mean, <laughs> well, Jace Peterson is, is really good. I, I like Jace Peterson, but Jace Peterson uh, probably would be a little bit. Um, they, they should use him at short if they can. You know, he's more of a shortstop than a third baseman. So okay, um, you know, I guess you could see a little battle between Jace Peterson and him for third. Okay. Um, but, uh, I think they prefer to play Jace at, at, uh, short. I'd forget what, uh, the contract status is for, um, Evers Cabrera, but, um, I, I have a feeling that if his contract was almost up, he would have been out of town. So, um, yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's certainly possible Well, to me. Like there's cause Spanchenberg is a. He's a first rounder, tenth overall pick in two thousand eleven. I think that that's like initially. I mean, I remember when he was first drafted, and perhaps a year after. I mean, there was talk of maybe, hey, is this guy going to have an early debut type thing? Are we going to see? I, I think. I mean, I'm not sure based on the you know scouting reports or whatever. Uh, maybe maybe some people missed the boat on him, but uh, uh, you know he certainly. I think relative to that, his kind of his star has fallen a little bit, and then he makes his debut at third base, but. To to me, like interesting, like long term, is that I mean they move Jed Jerko off third base to second base, and that's where he provides power, and he's a good fielder. I mean he can he can certainly field the position. I think he can still field the th- third base, but uh, they stick with Jerko at second base and and Spangenberg, who they uh, is kind of I think I don't want to say is a player that they moved to second base. I think that's where he's always been, um, but they debut him at third base and he's played only like seven games in the minor leagues at that position this year. I guess it just kind of strikes me as strange cause his bat doesn't play there either. <laughs> um, I mean, to me, he is, he's like that ideal second baseman that, uh, I mean, if he turns out to be you know, kind of a major league regular, um, Jerko who can hit 20 to 25 home runs, at least profiles more, uh, as a type of bat who would play at third. So, um, I'm not really sure exactly what the the Padres are thinking in, in terms of the long term, but, uh, He's, a, he's only a mildly interesting player, which considering the, uh, the draft pick that they spent on him, I think is perhaps kind of a disappointing um, return in terms of the draft pick. Any other September 1st call-ups of interest to you? I think that it's it's kind of hard to say. To me, Jasmil Pinto, and I wrote in, in Catcher Tears, put up uh, this morning that, um, that basically I think the Twins kind of needed to decide one way or another. They seem to be publicly at least... For me, he's kind of the one who's of interest because it's like they need to give him some bat uh, I, I would like to see him give him a sip of bats because he's a good hitter <laughs> and uh you know three or four games a week would be sat- would be satisfactory in an AL only league uh, because he could hit a couple of home runs the rest of the way and uh i mean he's got he has the tools to hit two seventy five or better and that you know that can certainly be of interest to fantasy owners but um all the news that comes out of Minnesota when concerns Pinto is that he's made some progress this year at catcher, but yet at the same time, we understand we've, we've put him, we've allowed him to spend a lot of time at DH this year uh, since we demoted him. (laughs) And I think they, the stories kind of conflict. They they signed Kurt Suzuki to the two year extension uh, and has an option for a third year. And clearly there's no offensive upside with Suzuki, but they don't, they are they are clearly not sold on Pinto as a catcher. Um, I think it's to me it's like one of those cases where they're clearly not committed to developing his catching tools, but they still think that he might have them. And let's make a decision here. I'd like to see them just kind of say, "Hey, look, this is a guy we have to." I mean, I, maybe that's it's kind of a uh, leads to a greater debate as far as players like Pinto are concerned, and like teams hold out hope for as long as possible to see if they can find him a position because DH just does nothing for them. But it's like um, kind of a case like Willard and Rosario, like the bat, the, it's understandable at that point. Uh, I mean, if he's uh, he's made some progress and um, everything else has, has obviously been fantastic at the major league level. But to me, it's like with a Pinto, um, all the reports on him I ever read about his defense entering this season were not glowing, to say the least. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I think it's it's um, a little ambitious to not for the twins not to make a commitment one way or the other uh, concerning Pinto's defense.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of they I don't know it just seems like they kind of muddled along and uh, they make decisions like this. like think about uh, Ploof and how long it took Ploof to find a position. Um, Dozier, you know, they, they, they're, I think they're willing to play guys to a certain extent. Um, but they do want to find them their best defensive position eventually. And maybe muddling is not the nicest way to put it. Um, but they drag uh, their feet kind of thing or, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the upside of, of their approach is that, uh, if a guy can hack it at, uh, at a certain position, then, uh, then they'll fi- they'll figure it out sooner. You know, they'll figure it out before they you know put him on first base just because they thought you know he couldn't do it. So I guess with the Suzuki signing, what you could say if you were going to put it in a nice light is <laughs> that they're that they they've, they've bought themselves a cromulant defensive catcher. They've got a guy who can be the defensive guy, and they're going to try. You know, Pinto. They're going to ch- keep. Maybe he'll teach Pinto some things. Maybe Pinto will learn what he's supposed to be doing. Um, you know, in order to make it as the catcher. And, you know, I don't think that uh, Suzuki's deal is so expensive that uh, they can't just say, okay, well, you're, you're the backup now. Pinto, you know, really took a step forward defensively and uh, and took, a, took, 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 took this job, and we're probably going to decline that option and so on and so forth. So I don't think it's uh, as bad as it seems at first. So, you know, you'd think that you'd just give the job to Pinto, but if Pinto can't hack it defensively, you know, I think catcher is a position where you can give a lot of runs away defensively. Um, and, and, you know, if you if you got a bad framer back there who's also not blocking balls and can't throw the ball, I think there's, you know, I don't even know that we know the full extent of how many runs you can give away doing that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it seems like that's the toughest position to qualify in terms of the metrics and defensive runs saved and things like that. There's so many elements Um I can really play into it. Uh, some quick hitters. I just want to touch on. Do you think Billy Burns uh, called up by the A's, and obviously no no room for him really to play as a regular? Do you think he could have the? a i want. I don't want to say the same type, but close to, the, or a similar type, uh, close to the type of impact that Billy Hamilton had last September.
1: Hmm. I mean, there's another guy out there that's sort of like him, and Terrence Gore. Um, So there's a couple of of speedsters, and and they're they're actually going to use Jock Peterson um, in a similar role, um, where they're going to uh, just mostly pinch run and pinch hit the guy. So Mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, it's hard for me to to think of the situation in which um, I would roster someone like that. I mean, it would have to just be a really deep league that I was just really desperate for steals. Yeah. Because you have to, you're giving up runs, uh, you're giving up RBI, you're giving up batting average possibilities, not going to hit you a home run when he's just running on the base paths. So it's one of those really targeted, really, uh, you know, so nice for those people to know, but not so important for most of our listenership, probably. So if you really, if you're in a really deep league, you know you already probably know about these guys. But um, you know, between the three of them, who do I see? Um, you know, scoring the most runs and 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 uh, being the most relevant. Um, you know, you kind of you kind of think you'd go with the NL team um, and uh, and and all the double switches and the opportunities to get a, a runner in. So. Um, I think it you know it's not it's not crazy to think it's Jock Peterson. Of course he's going to be the one that costs the most to get and is the least likely to be available if you have any sort of keeper uh, <laughs> situation going on. But um you know if you were looking at the 3 I would uh maybe lean towards the National League just cuz their style of play will lead a little bit more to pinch running I think.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think well I think among the players – yeah um and Oakland and KC both uh, speaking of uh, Burns and Gore for those folks, and you know at least maybe they offer the prospect because they do have quite a bit of uh, what you might call lopers on the basis, um, players potentially to be replaced. Uh, and I do want to say just real quickly, uh, you know, uh, I'm very sorry to hear for your sake that uh, Alex Meyer is definitely not going to be making his def- debut. Well, I guess it hasn't been at, le- at least I've seen media wise. Rep- confirm but uh, because of the shoulder development that he had uh, this past weekend he will not be i'm almost certain not making his debut this year but uh look something to look forward to in 2015 i'm sure and uh we talked about this a little bit on uh sunday but uh just was curious about what your reaction was to the beau porter firing
1: uh you know there is uh I think there is still a, 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 a gulf between the front office and the, and the, and the uh, dugout. Um, and I think that there is still, you know, there are some teams probably that are better at this. It's very hard to know who's good at this mm-hmm. because nobody wants to talk about it. No manager wants to uh, talk about the directives he gets from his front office for bunting and, um, you know, the directive he gets from his front office on how to use his closer, um, or the directives he gets in the front office on drills and things that he's supposed to be doing on a daily basis, uh, because that probably that undermines his authority as a manager. It says, oh, you know, I, I get told what to do from all these people. <laughs> so, uh, what, what I do think that the best-run uh, team would have a great scouting department and a great analytics department, would take advice from those scouts and analysts um, you know into a front office that digested it and then had almost like an, an ambassador uh you know the, the most the most uh talkative the most um you know uh uh you know the most friendly uh and and you know the guy with the most social skills in the front office uh and then who can then break down the things that they've decided into very easy uh and innocuous seeming uh, Directives that don't um, seem like it's the general manager running the from the dugout. I think that that's the best way to do it, and I'm not sure that's happening in Houston. I mean, it doesn't sound (laughs) Houston. It sounds like there's a analytic front office, um, and then there's you know Bo Porter, an emotional um, you know you know who seems like the players love him, um, but there's some sort of uh, disconnect between him and that front office. So. Um, I don't know that it, you know. I'm not sure that I'm not. I'm not sure that I know exactly how teams work. You know, I do spend some time in the in the clubhouse, and I have seen uh, members of the front office that I think sort of fall into this uh, description I'm making. Uh, do that. I've seen members of the front office come into the dugout and come into the clubhouse and talk to players. Uh, so I know it does happen on some level. Um, but um, it doesn't seem to be happening that well in Houston, um, so it's sad. Uh, but uh, the manager is always the first thing to go, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I was probably in, in in a way. I don't want to say I was quick to judge, but I said, you know, that's like that's kind of alluding to what you said. I mean, and it's um, that uh, Jeff Lunau was, you know, perhaps he or po- folks doing the work for him really kind of seemed to be lacking that communication. Um, or that effort in communication, I think, with the dugout and with specifically with Porter at the time. But I think you know, learning some things after the fact, maybe I was a little unf- you know unfair to suggest that. And again, like I said, I, I you know, it's 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 impossible to know the details to begin with. Um, but to and to go even further, I said it was just kind of purely speculation. As that is that would be my impression of the situation is that there seemed to be some real communication issues there. But uh, in terms of player development, it's certainly. I mean, they've made some some questionable decisions, uh, to say the least. But at the same time, I mean, th- things still look overall, you know, certainly bright- brighter than they did in Houston just a few years ago, uh, with a kind of a restocked farm system and things of that nature. Uh, to be interesting to see, you know, maybe if if it's kind of a we we part with ways with Porter, but we also learn from our own mistakes and yeah, and uh, you know, they they maybe they need a kind of a Mr. K- Mr. Congeniality there as a as a go-between. Um, certainly, communication seemed to be something that they didn't facilitate very well there in Houston between the front office and the, and
1: the dugout. Yeah,
0: there might be something there. Uh, as far as Adam Dunn acquisition, any thoughts on that? Uh, I expressed immediate concern. I was like, I hope this doesn't affect Steven Vogt's playing time because he's kind of hit a uh, hit of a bit of a slumber since his beautiful call-up, I guess to say at least, where he hit close to 400 for a stretch of a few weeks. Um, but it doesn't necessarily look like that's going to be the case. Uh, but uh, do you see anybody potentially having uh, playing time affected, or if not uh, uh, otherwise, we know done moving from pretty much the best homer in ballpark to one of the worst is certainly not anything great for his fantasy value, but then he shoves that in folks', face, folks faces and oh, well, goes out in homers. <laughs>
1: we missed the, Yeah, we missed the one uh, fun thing I did want to do for call-ups. Oh, okay. Um, was just it's just a real simple thing is that the actually I think the best um, part of, of call up season in September um, is is the weirdest uh, weirdest most niche thing that you can ever think of uh, starting pitcher eligible relievers oh, okay. um, are are on the rise um, and um, you know there's going to be guys like Daniel Norris um, and Taiwan Walker that are going to be hard to roster because people will be rostering them in keeper leagues and people will be rostering them in case they start. Um, I think Taiwan Walker has the innings to start, so I think eventually he will start, uh, but they just have to wait for Royanus Elias or Chris Young to, to pumpkin. So in the meantime, Walker could get you some holds and strikeouts um, in the bullpen. Uh, Daniel Norris uh, is the same. Um, and uh, But I think those guys will be kind of used a little bit more like long men uh, starters on days when um, the starter didn't go far enough that, you know, not necessarily sort of hold situations. I do think Brandon Finnegan is a pickup in holds leagues, especially in those holds leagues where you can sneak him in as a starter and pitcher because the lefty in that bullpen in Kansas City, the only lefty now the Duffy left is Francis Lee Bueno, who throws 89 uh, and has uh, mostly underwhelming stats. So you got Finnegan coming in with more velocity, um, more nasty stuff, um, and a little bit of buzz, a little bit of excitement. You know. Because yeah, we talked about him at the, in last yeah last Thursday. And he's the, he was the first, uh, he's the first. He's a he's like the, the, a drafty, like a very recent draftee. and you know. So I think um, I think uh, Finnegan is the pickup there. Yeah, I mean Norris. Norris, I'm excited about too. I just like him as a pitcher, um, and if they truly won't start him, then he is really kind of close to out of out of innings. Maybe you know that bullpen's not very good. Uh, they could find a way to to get him close to holds.
0: Yeah, uh, and he's also left-handed. Um, so obviously, but with two significant left-handers there, that probably decreases op- opportunities. But the strikeouts are uh, also really incurred. Well really encouraging seems to be underselling them based on the minor, <laughs> minor league numbers. But, um, 21 year old who's incredibly intriguing, uh, is definitely a, a Norris. And I, um, so let me go in another direction and say like, uh, how about like for, for something like that, I guess, I guess in this instance, like you don't look for a player like um, Daniel Hudson coming back from Tommy uh, from multiple Tommy John or he's making an impact in something like holes. He won't be used in any uh, kind of high leverage situations. But you think that that could be a player who has that type of uh, well has some sort of fantasy returns in those very deep leagues? It is just I'm I'm just curious. He's more of a feel good story than anything. But do you think that he has any potential fantasy value left? Uh, who's
1: that? Daniel Hudson. I thought we were talking about Daniel Norris. I was like, Jesus! No. <laughs> I think he has a little bit left. <laughs> uh, Daniel Hudson, man. I've seen some pickups in some of my leagues, my deep leagues, uh, some auto new pickups. Um, and it's not. I, I'm sure it's not Hudson. <laughs> he, is, is he a three? Uh, is he a three Tommy John guy now? I don't think so. No. First one just didn't take. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of guys uh, like him. I guess you could call Beachy um, somewhat like him. Um, I don't know that we have a good enough sample to say anything about what the percent likelihood is. We do know that 10 to 15 percent of first-time guys fail, and I have to say, given that he failed, um, I would <laughs> I would uh, up that number for the second one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so let's give him. A quarter chance of not coming back from the operation, so that's a twenty-five percent chance right there. I did talk to uh, Jared Cross recently, the, the founder of Steamer, about you know what about bus rate on projectable pitchers, pitchers that have a nice sample, pitchers that uh, like a, maybe like a, I was talking about Jose Fernandez uh, and Matt Harvey in particular, and those guys um, they have probably about a twelve percent chance of pitching to like a three eighty ERA. Uh, it seems impossible, but there's about a ten to twelve percent chance that wait
0: like that is like three the ceiling.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much I mean these guys are awesome. It, think about like Justin Verlander, right? Okay. Um, you know going into the season, he's probably hitting his tenth tenth percentile projection right um, so it happens, okay. Okay. I mean, uh, so, I didn't
0: want to think, okay, like, uh, Matt Harvey, like, Jose Fernandez, I mean, I'm still picturing f- three ERAs here in the not-too-distant future, like, 2016 at minimum.
1: <laughs> right. <And I'm, laughs> I was talking about 380, so, you know, four, so. Right. Um, so, you know, there's still 10% chance. I mean, every projection, my point is every projection is a range, and so there's still about a 10% chance that they end up on the wrong side of that range, uh, in which case Hudson would be unusable, so. If we even up that to about 15%, you're talking about a guy who has a 40% chance of, of not being useful at, on the bottom end, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're in a, in a situation where a 50-50 shot uh, is worth a roster spot, you know, he's going to be a buck. You know, he's just a roster slot. You're going you're gonna to know more by next March. Um, but will you know more by the next time your keepers are called? If your keepers are called in December or January, I'm not sure you're going to know a lot more about what's going on with Daniel Hudson. Yeah, that is true. That is also a good point.
0: I, I think I just harbor a little bit of hope for him, uh, not just because I'd like to see him. I mean, he was, you know, he had a, you know, very nice <clears throat> major league season. Uh, well, um, uh, in 2011, but that uh, about an ERA of about 350 really made some good. Uh, Uh, progress in the control department and uh, so I think I just uh, hold out a little bit of hope but there might be you know I guess there's also potential evidence that that season might be an aberration it's hard to say Uh, but uh, still think that I still hold a little bit of closet hope for Daniel Hudson sigh uh san francisco goes to a bullpen in uh by committee uh basically well basically it it, uh revolves around sergio romo and uh, santiago casillo uh, romo gives up a game or the go-ahead what turns out to be the game-winning run in yesterday's game i'd like to uh, think that uh, that kind of thing doesn't necessarily automatically affect that status i do think it's a little rash considering that casillo is really getting the job done and i don't think even like a couple of recent rough appearances suggested otherwise, but uh, I guess it's really a glowing recommendation, a glowing endorsement of what uh, Romo has done to turn around his results. And this is a player you talked about that you seemed, like, you know, thought that uh, with a little bit going on <coughs> with uh, uh, with his pitch mix, that it seemed like this seemed like an inevitability that he was going to turn things around. Uh, rest of the season and uh let's let's say going to 2015 who's kind of like the favorite for saves in San Francisco. Uh next year? Yeah, well let's start, certainly start with rest of this season. Uh, <laughs> if you had yeah. to, if you had to pick one between the two because obviously most both of these guys are owned in most leagues uh, at this point.
1: Yeah, well um the so okay, so the 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 thing that I wrote was um, you know Romo's hanging sliders and um, and that's and, you know it's going to be Casilla for the for the time being but I think Romo is going to get the job back. Right. Then there was this whole discussion in the comments about um, you know whether or not he can stop hanging sliders and um, you know there's some uh, around the team that think that uh, he's sort of broken um, and uh, he's not going to find it this year. He's not going to fix it um so that contingent uh thinks that he's not going to i can i kind of feel like you know he's thrown so many sliders in his in his life you really th- think he can't figure it out and for any anything that's, that people point to oh he's always got, got a tender elbow and you know you know this or that th- those are things that have been Romo for his whole career so i don't really see um him, uh, uh, you know, I don't see those as, as excuses. I don't see those as reasons that he can't stop hanging the slider. He's gone through punks before, and he's found that slider. He throws uh, that slider more in his fastball. So, you know. Okay, so all that said, I'm finding something really interesting in his uh, recent uh, pitch movement um, for the, the slider. It's, um, it's going harder than it has all season in the last four or five outings um and it's also lost uh horizontal and vertical movement hmm. um so that's uh it could just be a couple game blip but um you know it definitely looks like it got harder um recently and um and i don't know what that means uh it could be a good sign um you know let me put in I'm gonna put back in some 213 so i can see Yeah, I'll, i mean
0: i'll say it like he's throwing it uh, I I mean I just checked like based on when he lost the job versus uh, prior to that I mean he's thrown like dead on the same percentage of sliders um, so certainly it doesn't hasn't changed his confidence or the Giants' confidence in the pitch at all.
1: They're still throwing and they're still throwing him in the eighth inning so even if you were doing a traditional who might close situation he would be next on your list he'd be right. the eighth inning guy right. The, the velocity increase uh, of recent uh, note has put him in line with what he was doing in early 2013. Ah, so, that's true. Um, I have to think that that was a good time for him. <laughs> <laughs> good times. You know, good times for all. Yeah, right. Uh, it's just um, the hanging slider thing is just, uh, it, it, to me, it's just, it's like a thing that people say, oh, he's hanging a sliders. It's like, well, okay, and... <laughs> like you know do you think he can you know stop hanging them um is the question uh, they have this thing at um at I'm going to do it on a month level here uh they have this thing at brooks uh where they have uh, average vertical movement uh for the slider of uh, actual actual average horizontal pitch location so maybe if you're hanging sliders that you're they're, you're throwing too far up right Mm -hmm. Uh, he's this last month. He has, he's averaging, uh, the lowest, uh, number on that. Okay. So maybe stopped hanging them. I mean, (laughs) well, like you said, I mean, he's thrown the pitch. I mean, he's
0: thrown it more than 50% of the time this year, but I mean, it's a pitch that he is worn out and well, but not in a bad way. Like he, he wears it out. That's his pitch. And it seems likely that if you've thrown a pitch for that long, you're going to figure out how to get the command back a little bit and then how, you know, how to stop hanging it. That seems like an inevitability.
1: Yeah. You know, though, and just in terms of horizontal and, and and vertical movement, it doesn't quite look like the cider from last year. So, I mean, I guess that's that's what people were talking about. It's not quite uh, what it used to be, but... Right. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's it's one of the few just in terms of fantasy. It's one of the few situations right now that's that there's any saves to 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 look for. Right. I mean, in terms of because like, Jeremy
0: Felt might even figure into this now that they've taken Casilla. I mean, that's that, I well, think that's been brought up as a possibility.
1: A, I mean, this is a positive for picking up Romo because uh, if I'm if I if somebody asks me where can I get some saves right now, I say Sergio Romo and 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 uh, Aaron Sanchez, and that's all I got for you. Right. You know, there's not really um, a lot of uh, maybe Kevin maybe, Quackenbush. Oh, Quackenbush is a great one. Putnam. Uh, I would probably rank them: uh, Sanchez, Quackenbush, Putnam, Romo, or Romo, Putnam.
0: I would put Quackenbush in that uh, first spot, without a doubt. I mean, he already picked up a save yesterday, but is,
1: uh, is Benoit out for the season? Out for the season?
0: No, but um, I mean, just the fact that he missed—he missed more than a week with that first stint uh, with the shoulder issue and, and it's, and point. it's, and it's, and it's come back up that yeah. I think that that's the kind of thing that says to me, Quackenbush is he's in the driver's seat for at least a couple of weeks. And at this point when you're the Padres, why even bother bringing Ben Wild back? Cause he's signed through next year.
1: Yeah. Good point. Okay. So Quackenbush Sanchez, who I like, I think, I don't know why they're necessarily doing this, but I mean, he's, he's got nastier stuff than, um, I mean, even Dustin McGowan out of the pen has been pretty nice, but um, I think that team just doesn't trust Dustin McGowan. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, Can you I blame think, them? Yeah, and Casey Jansen's stuff is markably diminished, um, and he was kind of borderline to begin with anyway. So I think uh, I think Aaron Sanchez is actually good to go for for saves the rest of the season. Okay, well, that's... <clears throat> yeah, he, I mean, he, he remains an interesting pickup. And I do... I, I think... I mean...
0: More and more, have become intrigued, but oh, not intrigued at this point. Like Romo is a is a great pickup, but for some reason, he's out there in your league. I think that's going to be an excellent recommendation. And we already talked about the Quackenbush situation. I do like him. Uh, he to me, he's easily the rest of season leader in terms of pickups for saves. I picked him up in both tout and uh, my FSWA league for like a couple of bucks. Like, and I put in even more than that for Quack and bush and i was the only bitter i was i don't want to say i was entirely surprised i think when you come across a guy named Quack and bush in the free agent list maybe you just kind of skip it <laughs> but uh you know i mean i was i, just, I was pretty pleased can be serious <laughs> exactly exactly so uh, and just uh, before we go the last serious topic i think we'll get into real quick is uh the pitch-type stuff, what I want to touch on real quick, Marco Gonzalez start Thursday in place of a demoted Justin Masterson to the bullpen. That's basically until Michael Walker returns. Gonzalez is not a guy who really intrigued you, right, in fan- terms of fantasy. No. Oh, yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Not really me either. And he's a college pitcher, it's very, very supposedly polished type. Uh, don't see a lot of upside there uh rest of the season definitely and um perhaps even a kind of long term career it strikes me as a swing man at best. Um but we you, we're talking about uh Romo's peripherals and we had a request uh, from a while back, you know, fellows talking about the talks about cut fastballs and sliders specifically and how they lead to arm injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Is um is it truly a percentage or a number? and basically say you know, obviously um you accumulate you know the accumulation seems to be what would really do it, uh, but in terms of like you know you look for the characteristics and you run through the you know the wayback machine, uh, the the injury predictor whammo machine and say uh, this guy throws thirty plus thirty percent plus sliders, uh, he strikes me as an injury concern. Uh, that that would seem to be different for. I mean he's talk, he's talking about is it in, in terms of quantity or rate? Um, is it really what? Concerns you, and I would assume the rate is strictly applied to uh, the starters. Whereas the relievers, maybe you need a higher rate, um, or maybe a you know higher velocity or something like that. Is that is that safe to assume?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we use the percentage ones just because um, it's easier uh, than the than the count numbers. Uh, When we when we did that research, we definitely set um, the limits. So that we were kind of looking at counts, even if we had percentage breakoffs. Like, you know, we're basically looking at qualified pitchers who use thirty percent, um, you know, sliders. So, right. you know, okay, by using those two in conjunction, you're basically setting a count level. Um, and the reason that we did, we don't necessarily set a count level though, is so that it's easier to apply to the future to look at players in smaller samples and say. Um, oh, you know, if this guy continues to throw like this, he will be in the same bucket as all these injured 30% slider guys. Um, so it's a, it's an easier benchmark to know, um, for one. And then uh, there are guys who kind of go between the, the starting rotation and the bullpen um, that um, also uh, make for interesting comparisons, and, and they should maybe be in the sample, and they might not be if we just did uh, straight counts. So... You're, it is right to focus on the count is more important than percentage uh, but uh, we've sort of just decided to express ourselves in percentages uh, because if you you know flip down to that page you get you know percentages
0: yeah and that that makes that makes perfect sense because yeah without without the type of samples i mean you don't want to go casting guys into injury buckets without getting the the type of samples that you could really have a lot of confidence in and so i mean just uh, i mean it just out of curiosity real quickly is is there like a is there an observation you've ever made about a reliever that you could even put a benchmark on that in terms of like what a reliever throws uh, in terms of sliders that really starts to concern you besides sergio Romo perhaps
1: yeah, no. but that's another thing uh our research uh really never talked about relievers okay uh, yeah so yeah i mean
0: i i, well, I, I'm yeah, I was really aware f- of that but like you know have you ever or uh, i guess I was curious if there was ever a reliever who would strike you as that type.
1: No, I, I, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know. I think the relievers are that's. It's like every year is a tiny sample, and it's just impossible. So. Um,
0: yeah, that's fair. Uh, More than fair.
1: Yeah, so I don't. I don't. Uh, if you ever hear me talk about that stuff, it's it's about starters, and I have no idea if Will Smith can keep doing it or not. Um, I do talk about sometimes about platoon splits on relievers if they just have a fastball and slider. Right. Uh, but I was just talking to Adam Ovino, and he said he was there the day uh, he thought he was there the day, or at least the year, when Luke Gregerson realized that he needs more than one slider to get a bunch of people out. So he he thinks he saw Luke Gregerson develop his second and third sliders, and Ovino told me that later that year he developed his own second slider. So. Uh, I do think that sometimes these guys that we look at and say, oh, he's a roogie or a loogie, he just has a fastball and slider, if we've seen them succeed against opposite-handed people uh, in the past, and, and we've seen them you know, succeed as, as setup men and stuff like that, um, that, that mostly what they've done is develop a, a second slider um, that's a little bit more like a curve and that uh, systems don't necessarily catch.
0: Oh, that's very interesting, very interesting.
1: I think, um, it's the, I think it's something that's out there. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of fastball slider guys that uh, are really kind of fastball slider curve guys. Yeah,
0: very, very interesting. And uh, hopefully, Adavino also told you of his intentions to be the closer in 2015 for the Rockies. Uh, <laughs> I think we, that's.
1: We, we also, when I when I interviewed uh, Latroy Hawkins a couple minutes later about whether or not there was actually an old, uh, an old uh, man disease. A closer mentality. Um, or you know, tried to get it at his at the secret to his success. Uh he said he said, Oh man, get away with me with that crap. I'm too old for this crap. <laughs> so uh Latroy then, Hawkins, he, he's, not a neighbor's not a saber magician.
0: Not a saber magician, and uh also told you to get off his lawn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think that is going to do it for this edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, Eno, thank you as always for sharing that and uh, for sharing some fantastic anecdotes to close it out uh, from some of your recent interviews. That was fantastic.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, dude.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Enjoy your day at the ballpark. And uh, again, this has been episode number 162. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. This has been The Sleeper and the Bust.